going to pray now and then we'll get started here in our passage this morning. So would you join me as I pray? This morning we want to echo the psalmist and say, It is good to give thanks to you, O Lord. It is good to sing praises to your name. It is good to declare your steadfast love in the morning and your faithfulness by night. And to do this, all this together, together as your people called by your gospel. And we do this, Lord, because you have made us glad by your works. When we look at who you are and what you've done, we sing for joy. We can't help but sing for joy because you are good. God, you tell us to pray for those in authority and who lead us. And this morning, we pray for our local authorities. We pray for our mayor, Mayor of Edgewood, Daryl Edinger. We pray also for our governor, Jay Inslee. We do pray for their families of all the government officials and leaders and staff as they sacrificially serve us, the people. God, we ask that you would give them wisdom and compassion in their, the, the vital decision-making that's happening every moment. We pray for health and protection from this virus for them. We pray for clear communication and, and smooth distribution of resources. May you be glorified in our area through this pandemic. God, we recognize that our economy is under a strain that we haven't seen for nearly a century. And while the headlines reflect the impact on stocks and banks, we know that right here in our community, real people are struggling already to pay rent and food and transportation and childcare and many other basic needs. We pray for those who have lost jobs or wages. We pray for the generosity of the church to increase, not decrease. And we ask, God, for you to provide the immediate physical needs of food and shelter and transportation and medical care. And we pray for those who are weary and downcast under financial burdens. God, we think of also other churches, brothers and sisters in our area where the gospel is proclaimed and believers are discipled. And this morning, we thank you for Rainier Hills Community Church in Buckley. God, I ask that you give them wisdom as a church family as they, as they navigate this and in, in life and ministry as they're able to not meet also. I pray that you would give wisdom to their elder board and, and endurance to their pastor, Paul Majak. We thank you for this church family. And God, I pray for our church family. I thank you for them. Thank you for their love and their care for one another and obedience to your word. And yet we have to confess that we do not love your word as we ought. We do not have the commitment to it that we should as the source of wisdom that's so good and so precious and so pure, and wisdom is able to guide us away from all sin into, into all righteousness. Then in this week that's gone by, each of us has at various times turned away from your word. We have chosen and disregarded it. We have chosen to disobey it. So we ask that you would forgive us. We ask that you would forgive us of all of our sins we have done and for all the righteous deeds that we've failed to do. Forgive us for every time we embraced sin and for every time we ignored righteousness. And thank you that we have a rock-solid assurance that when we confess our sins, that you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Thank you that we're not left hoping against hope that you will forgive us. Thank you that you're the loving Father who graciously forgives us of every one of our sins and chooses to remember them no more that they are as gone as far as the east is from the west, so we can live in joy and freedom of forgiveness. 
So, Father, we pray that as a church, even separated now, that we would have a deep commitment to your word. I pray as a church that our delight would be in the law of the Lord, and that we would meditate on its truths day by day, week by week. Father, I do thank you for your protection of our brother Tim Delgado, who's, who was tested negative for the virus, but still in the hospital, unable to breathe well. And Father, he's hurting, he's scared. And God, I ask that you would give wisdom to the doctors, that you'd bring peace to Tim's soul. Help us as a church to pray for him, to love him even from a distance. And now, Father, as we continue in our worship, and especially as we turn to your word, we pray that we would be attentive, and we pray that we would expect you to speak to us. Help us to be to listen well, to, to set aside distractions, and to allow you to speak to us through your word. And I pray that we would expect that. And you tell us that all scripture has been breathed out by you, so it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. And so we pray then that you would speak, and that we would listen, and that we would be changed. And we pray this all in Christ our Savior's name. Amen. Amen. Again, we want to thank you for joining us this morning online. And uh, I put it on Facebook earlier this week, but I thought it would be neat if, if you as a family, I'll give you this opportunity right now, if you had your smartphone, to take a picture of your family, uh, worshiping together, and then set it aside, okay? So we don't want as many distractions set aside here. But uh, we want to spend some time here this morning in God's Word. And so we've been walking through the fruit of the Spirit. We started this a few weeks ago, and this morning we're on joy. So let me ask as I, as I begin, what do you enjoy in life? Do you enjoy good food like a juicy steak cooked just right at your favorite restaurant? Or perhaps a, do you enjoy a piece of warm apple pie from your grandma at her house? Or, or do you enjoy a good football game? Or do you enjoy a beautiful piece of music on piano at a concert? Do you enjoy traveling, seeing sights like the Eiffel Tower or New York's Empire State Building? Do you enjoy a good movie at a theater with a captivating story and good humor? Do you enjoy a, a good company around a fantastic meal, great friends, engaging conversation, fun and laughter? Or even do you enjoy a beautiful hike up with, with your friends and family to Mount Rainier with, with them making through the switchbacks to the trail and finally reaching the conclusion of the hike and, and, and the mountain just fills your view? See, there's so many things that we can enjoy in this world. Now let me ask, do you enjoy God? What about God did you enjoy? What has captivated you about God this week? What just blew you away about him and how he's working and who he is? What did you take joy in this week? You know, the Bible continually gives us commands to do something that is outside of our ability. It commands us to trust, to be grateful, to, to hope, to love, to not fear, to rejoice, and to enjoy God, knowing full well that we cannot muster up enough strength to do it all on our own. And so St. Augustine was correct when he said, O Lord, command what, you will, command what you will, and give what you command. We're commanded in Scripture to enjoy God. In Deuteronomy 28, he, God warns his people of the consequences of not enjoying him. He says, because you did not serve the Lord your God with joyfulness and gladness of heart, therefore you shall serve your enemies whom the Lord will send against you. 
and hunger and thirst and nakedness and lacking everything. And he will put a yoke of iron on your neck until he has destroyed you. See, they disregarded God. They didn't enjoy him. They didn't take pleasure in him in their service. And we are to be full of God's joy. Psalm 1611 says, You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. In Psalm 37, 4, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Psalm 90, verse 14, satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. See, John Piper has said, and he's written a lot about joy. He says, joy is not just the spinoff of obedience, but part of obedience. And I like that. I mean, we believe that we, we get... Joy is a byproduct of our obedience to the Lord. But as a good conservative Christian, we can't pursue joy, can we? Should we? See, deep down, some Christians are afraid to say that you should pursue joy. They might say, pursue obedience, but don't pursue joy, don't pursue pleasure. That's taboo. That's like saying, don't eat oranges, but eat fruit. Because, friends, joy is an act of obedience. We're, we're commanded to rejoice in God. Psalm 32, 11, Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. Psalm 37, 11, that I read earlier, Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. And then Paul in Philippians 4, 4, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. And this happens by the Spirit. We can't make this, we can't manufacture this on our own. We cannot muscle our flesh to bring about joy that only comes by God. That's why he says in Galatians, at the beginning of chapter 3, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? See, enjoying God is only the work of God. We cannot muster enough strength to do it, but the only way to enjoy the Lord is to know Him. And how do you know the Lord? This seems so simple, but sometimes the simple things is where we need to, to land. If you're not seeing things about the Lord and His Word, then you cannot rejoice in Him. And where do you see things about Him? Where do you turn to learn? It's in the Bible. It's in the Scriptures. And if you're not consuming the Word of God daily, friends... Not, not weekly on Sundays when I open the Bible. And not every other day that just seems to work for your schedule. But daily, you'll not be able to rejoice in Him. Because you don't know Him well enough. And friends, you can't rely on what you've learned in the past. You need to continue to learn. I once knew a pastor that was relying on what he learned at Bible school. And he wasn't continuing learning right now. He was relying on what he learned back then. He, he, he was growing then, and he believed that it would carry him through. And so he stopped reading his Bible faithfully. He stopped praying, and ultimately he stopped growing. He wilted up and died spiritually, and eventually he left the ministry. So we cannot rely on what we have learned in the past. We need to continue to learn and soak ourselves in the Word of God. And God uses our minds to, to bring joy, because it's in the soul that exper experiences joy. See, the body just shows joy, but the soul experiences joy. God uses our minds engaged in his truth to produce joy, and the Holy Spirit is the gift that gives us the ability to learn and to find joy in him. The Holy Spirit doesn't just 
flip a switch in us. No, it's the gospel. In John chapter 16, a chapter later than what we're going to look at this morning, he says, When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak of his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. And that's really the end goal. The end goal is to glorify God. That's the point of all of it, friends. That's the point of the church. It's the point of ministry. It's the point of your family. It's the point of your life. The whole point here is to glorify God. The whole point of Paul writing the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5 is to glorify God. And if we don't rejoice in God, if we do not glorify God as we should, we will miss that. We will miss the fruit. And so this connects this 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 whole point connects back to John 15. And so if you haven't turned there, let me give you a moment to turn to John chapter 15. And we're going to look at the first 11 verses with our remaining moments here this morning. All of that was my introduction. So perhaps you've thought back over the last week and and you realize that you haven't had much joy this week. Perhaps you have been far too easily pleased in your life with takeout and Netflix. Maybe just, maybe your smartphone really isn't enough for you. Perhaps you really need Jesus' joy this week. And so I'm glad that you've logged on and can join us. And I hope to serve you well. So here in John 15, Jesus is talking about growth. He's talking about fruit. That word fruit comes up over and over throughout these verses. A horticulture, fruit. That's what Jesus is talking about. He's going to leave his disciples soon. And so he's teaching them that they need to grow. They can't stay the same. Because if there's no change, they will continue to decay, right? And so the motivation for growth in the Christian life is God living inside of us through the Holy Spirit. So Jesus will will depart. He's going to leave them. And the Holy Spirit will come and reside inside of them. And so we read about it in Galatians 5 a few weeks ago. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And so Jesus is saying here in John 15, I'm the key to that. How does a selfish person become unselfish? How does a controlling, manipulative person become free? How does a a cowardly person become courageous? How does a a whiner become a giver? How does a worrier become a strong rock? How does a bigot become someone of understanding and love? How does someone who despairs now become someone who finds joy? That's the question. How do we grow? We all want to. The world is is really screaming at us to grow and to change. That's why bookstores that we can't go into anymore or online bookstores, if you scroll through Amazon, are just filled to the rim with all sorts of books on how to change. Do this. Think that way. Here's a magical way of being different or better or positive. See, in the Bible, there is an extremely different way of change. And I'm going to spoil it for you right at the beginning here. It doesn't depend solely on you. It's not secular way of change. It's it's not just morality or a checklist of to-dos. The Bible in particular, our passage this morning says you need to have a vital connection with Jesus Christ. And you will grow. You have to have an organic connection to God. And he does that for you. Jesus says to us this morning, the only way you will be different is if, if you're forever connected to me. You need God's life pumping through your life. Like a heart pumping blood to all the organs and 
and into the arms and fingers. You need God's life pumping into your life. Because you can't do it on your own. You need God living inside of you. And there's a whole lot of people that come to Christianity, who, who come to church, who, who log online, just hoping that they can overcome some of the bad habits, some of the destructive habits that only not only are hurting them, but hurting their family, their spouse, and their friends, or coworkers. And you just want to live a good life. You want to live a better life. For the right reason, even. You want to please God. You want to please Him with your life. But you're going at it the wrong way. You're tapped into the wrong thing. You want the easy fix. You want steps to change, a plan, a process. But you neglect the life source to change. And it's, friends, God living inside of you. Friends, you will not change in your life if you look for a process or a 12-step plan outside of God. You need God living inside of you, growing you from the inside out. And you will experience joy. Jesus has some news for us here. It says in these 11 verses that it's, done by abiding in him that culminates then joy for the Christian friends we need to abide in God the only way we'll become more like Jesus and to have real lasting sustaining joy and the only way to get this joy is to understand this joy is to abide in him and we will experience this magnificent outcomes of the abiding the, and the main one that we are going to focus on this morning although there's many in this passage but the main one is joy See, God will not leave you the same. So let's look here at John 15, verses 1 through 5. It says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Jesus is the, the vine. God the Father is the vine dresser, the gardener, and we are the branches. If the, if the branch is really joined to the vine, to the stem, then life comes into the branch so that the branch will grow. But if the branch is not growing, if there's no blossoms... There is no fruit, there is no signs of life, and it's not truly joined to the vine. It might be apparently joined, it might be super, superficially joined, but it's not organically joined. It may even look cosmetically on the outside, but it's not really joined. And the only way to growth is to be joined to Christ, to abide in Him. Christians abide in God. And Jesus says here that His relationship to a Christian is more intimate than any other relationship that you can think of on earth. It's much more intimate than the relationship between an employer and employee. More intimate than a teacher to a student. More intimate than a parent to a child. More intimate than a, a pastor to someone that goes to their church. It's even more intimate than a husband to a wife. And the reason why is because in all those examples that I gave you, the best that can come from those relationships is influence. And in some of those relationships, the influence is very great. But it cannot touch the magnitude of the relationship between Christ and and the Christian. See, Jesus says, I don't just influence your nature. I enter your nature. And God is coming into our lives in a more intimate way than any other relationship here on earth. That's what it means to be a Christian. It's participation of his nature into our nature. And a transformation of our nature. And this is extremely intimate, friends. 
says, I am the true vine, you are the branches. And what could be more revolutionary than that? This is intimate. This is the reason why we say that Christianity is not simply a set of beliefs or a set of ethics that you adopt for your life. It's the change of heart at its very core. It's what theologians call regeneration. And being born again is not a mystical, emotional experience. Being born again means your heart has been uprooted and replanted into a new vine, into new soil. The very life of heaven has come into your life. You have union with Christ. And if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature. All things pass away. Behold, new things have come. And friends, that's what he's saying here. It's that being a Christian is not just naming Christ and, and calling yourself a follower of his. You actually have to follow Jesus in all life. You have to pray, talking with God. You have to read his word and digest it and soak in it and, and love it and chew on it and absorb it in your life. This is what it means to dwell. Most of you are dwelling at home right now, right? If you're good, none of you have left. Some of you have to because of work. What does it mean to dwell? Well, you're soaking it all in. Dwelling, residing in your home means that's where you live. And dwelling in God means that's where you live. That's where you grow. It's where you're safe and secure. It's where you learn to love others well. It's where you find true and lasting joy. And it's all found in God, dwelling in Him. And friends, if you're looking at your life and you see that you have not grown as much as you'd like, that you're struggling with bitterness, with worry, or some other area, what you have to do is have His words remain in you and His love remain in you. To dwell in Him. That's, that's how you depend on Him. That's how you cling to the vine and, and draw His love and His words and draw out His life into your life. And how do you do that? And I want to get practical here, and I've mentioned it already a few times. It's, see, it's one thing to, to read the Bible for inspiration or to read it even for doctrinal instruction. And it's another thing to read the scriptures and let the words of God dwell within you, to abide in you. Unless you dwell in his word, you will not change. You will not grow because you don't have the juice. Colossians 3.16 says, let the, word of Christ, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. The psalmist says in Psalm 119.103, how sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. So there's a difference between getting inspiration and reading for doctrinal knowledge and then letting the word of God dwell and remain in you. You digest the word. You take it in. Let it become a part of you. You let the word of God come inside of you. You see life through the word. And John tells us in verse 7 here in this passage, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. And so friends, for some of you that are, are, are furloughed right now at home, your job is said stay home. And some of you have been laid off completely. And you don't have a job right now. And you've lost your income. What do you do? How do you think? Everybody is scared. And you, believer, a Christian brother and sister... You need to let the word of God dwell richly inside of you. What do you do in your heart? 
What do you tell your heart? Friends, you need to preach to your heart and immediately say what the Word of God says. Isaiah 41.10, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And see, in this you're calling God to be faithful to his promises and his word to us. Don't be anxious about anything, right? Look at the birds of the year. God takes care of them. Are we not much more valuable than they? See, you're abiding in the word. You're abiding in Jesus. And your heart is not dictated by the world and the circumstances in the world. But you remain in him. You don't dwell in the what ifs of life. You depend and you dwell in Jesus Christ. And so you preach to your heart. You dwell in the word and begin to roll it over, over in your mind. And you abide in his word. And what, what happens, then it affects you. It changes you. You're not looking at the world the way that everybody else looks at the world. And you update your Facebook status, not as a complaint against your employer or the government or any other officials, but to praise your God for his continued faithfulness in your life. And see, what the Bible what it means to have the Bible dwell in you richly and his words remain in you is to, to let the Bible address you. To let the Bible argue with you. Let the Bible preach to you. Let the Bible come and be a part of you. That's how we take the word and make it a part of our life. You take it in, you read it, you breathe it in, you digest it and live it. And friends, this is what it means to abide in him. You need to let the Bible argue against you and your thoughts. Let the Bible address you. Friends, dwell in his word. There's another thing that we should abide in, and Jesus tells us there in verses 9 and 10. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I've kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. So friends, we need to abide in his love. This is even more important. Why? Because because the essence of knowing you're a Christian, very simply, a Christian is someone who recognizes that God is holy and that they're not. And if they have placed their trust, their faith in Jesus Christ as their only Savior to abide, then in His love alone. And perhaps you've tuned in this morning and we're happy that you've joined us. And you're welcome any time, every week. But perhaps this whole discussion about love and abiding in Jesus seems a little too far-fetched for you. Is this what a Christian is? You don't, you don't think that way. You don't think that a Christian is anything more than just saying, yeah, I'm a Christian. And you check that box in the form. Your parents were Christians and you attended church once and you said a prayer once and so you try to live a good life and so you're just a Christian. See, friends, a Christian is someone who says, I see, up to this point, I was trying to be a good person all on my own. I was trying to be my own savior. I was searching to feel loved in any way but God. I was trying to make myself acceptable. But I, I, I know now I come to the Father and say, please accept me, not because of anything that I've done, but completely because of what Christ has done. Because of his perfect life and death for me on the cross. And, and get this, when you're saved, when you accept Christ, you are his. Jesus' perfect record is transferred to your account and we are made new. And we want new things. And so, as Christians, we desire to remain in him and to dwell in his love, to realize that we finally have fuel for this life because of his love. And so many of our issues on earth is simply because we don't want to live in God's love, but we want to live in someone else's love. And what do I mean here? Well, 
when you have a conflict, and perhaps you had one this week, sometimes stemming usually from some sort of jealousy. Our jealousy comes from our refusal to see the only person whose love really counts. But what if this week you were afraid of something? You're anxious. And we need to admit then that we're striving to find our security in something and we're refusing to see the only person whose love we really need and the only security that we truly need for this life. And friends, that security and that love and that peace is only found in God. See, as Christians, we don't have to search for others to accept us because we're already accepted by God and that's enough. And the only way that we'll grow in these areas, church family, is to acknowledge that our issues are not other people. Our issues are, are really not outside of ourselves. The issues are inside of us. It's our refusal to live out the gospel. And we begin to think the gospel is just something that we, we enter into to get into heaven. And we refuse to live in light of the gospel. We refuse to preach the gospel to ourselves. It is a refusal to continually say, if I am his child and I'm perfect, why am I acting like this? Now, how do Christians handle criticism? See, how do Christians handle a hard and rough childhood? How do Christians handle the fact that, that they're single and that no one's interested in them? How do Christians handle these things? They say, I'm a son of the king or a daughter of the king, and my father loves me. And with great and inexhaustible love and the only riches that truly count, the only love that lasts, the only family that matters, I have in Jesus Christ alone. And they keep preaching that truth to themselves. That's how a Christian handles life. That's what it means to live in his love. That's remaining in his love. And so do you want to know how to overcome self-pity in your life? And depression and touchiness and jealousy and fear and worry? It comes from abiding in his love. And until you see that, it comes from you refusing to remain in his love and refusing to act on it and live out, live out of it until you can call the things that are really wrong with your life what they really are and you're never going to really grow. You will grow stale in your spiritual life and you will try to live off old growth from years before. To remain in his love means to say the great debt has been paid, the great disease has been healed. The great relationship has already been sealed and all other debts and all their diseases and all their broken relationships are tiny things. And you remain in him. Christians remain in God. They abide in Jesus. And when we abide in him, we will have joy. Now I know this is the goal of the message and it took me a long time to get here, friends. And I, and, but I needed to cover all of this to get here to verse 11. John writes, These things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. His aim, his goal in writing all these things is so that our joy may be full. And there are other benefits that are there for us as we pursue Christ in this passage. But in verse 11, joy is the climax of great things that God has promised to us Christian. And the Greek word for joy here means to be complete. And all that we need, we have it all to be fully satisfied. It's not some vague, autonomous thing, no joy. He says, it's my joy. My joy may be in you. And Jesus is talking. We get his joy, friends. The joy of Jesus is to be the joy of the Christian. 
And Jesus' joy is a wonderful thing. Joy is not simply happiness. Happiness is getting our circumstances to go just right, to go the way that we want. But that isn't joy. Christian joy isn't based on circumstances at all. Christian joy can grow and flourish when things are going bad because it isn't based on circumstances. In fact, I would dare say that Christian joy can go stronger, could grow stronger during hard circumstances. And you see that when things go bad, when difficulty comes into our lives, friends, as Christians, it drives us then into God. And we grow in our relationship with Him. And we develop fortitude and power. And we develop a strong kind of joy that never truly goes away, no matter the circumstances. And so maybe, just maybe, God is growing our joy in Him in these last few weeks. So we can't go out and experience life like we used to. And when tragedy comes and our job is gone and our plans don't just fail... They're stripped away from us when we're trapped at home. Perhaps now, friend, God is growing your joy in Him because you've been distracted. And when we're distracted by work, we're distracted with a Bible study or an event or a place to go or a meeting, and we're always going, 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 and God, in His incredible providential wisdom, grinds the entire planet to a halt. The whole thing. You realize the whole earth has paused. Sweden and England and India and China, all of it is at standstill. And God has brought everything to a standstill. Maybe to get our attention. To turn our weak and feeble pleasure in this world to Him. To find joy in Him. And you need to consider God this morning, friend. Maybe He's stripping away your security so that you will trust in Him instead of yourself. Maybe He's removing the pathetic pleasures of this planet so that you would begin to enjoy Him alone. Where do you find your joy this morning? Was it in those things that I listed at the beginning of the talk? You know, I purposely listed things this morning that you can't enjoy right now. And we've been searching for joy in this life. We've, and I think sometimes we've settled for manufactured happiness when God wants us to have real, lasting, sustaining joy. C.S. Lewis is quoted by saying, It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. It's not that we don't have desires. It's it's that our desires are too weak, he says, and in the wrong thing. And here this morning, Sunday, April 5th, stuck at home, quarantine, God is shouting to us. You don't need that manufactured happiness. You don't need those illusions of security. You don't need those pale, worthless substitutes that the world can fabricate. You need me. So stop chasing this fake joy in this world and be satisfied in God. Friends, we need to find our joy in God and not in this world. 
And we need to follow Jesus in this because he's our example. Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Hebrews says, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And where did Jesus find that joy? It wasn't in his circumstances. None of those were enjoyable. Being nailed to a cross was not enjoyable. It wasn't enjoyable being mocked and ignored. Jesus found his joy in this unquenchable desire to do the will of his Father. He found joy in obeying God. Jesus endured the cross so that we could find everlasting joy in God. Jesus found his joy at the end of the cross, dying for all who would believe. And so friends, we don't need to live joyless lives. We need to abide in him. We are filled with a joy that this world has never seen in themselves. So friends, don't be satisfied in this world. Look to Jesus. Find your joy rooted in him alone. Let's pray. Father, we confess that we're too easily to find things on earth that bring us more pleasure than you. And we're confused. We're, we're blinded sometimes. We, we miss you in the process. And God, we ask that you would correct us, that bring us back into right fellowship with you. That you would fill our minds and our hearts with you alone. Your grace has saved us. It has pulled us from this raging sea, and we're safe now on this solid ground, all because of you, Lord. And so help us, comfort us, bring us joy, which is the fruit of the Spirit living inside of us. More than anything, God, be glorified in us, in our church and our families. And we pray this all because of Jesus. Amen.